Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. And between the years 1990 and 2000, I did hundreds of interviews with musicians for the Irish Times in a slot that was originally called the Joe Jackson Interview. When Paddy Woodworth, the newspaper's arts editor, launched its now legendary sound and vision double-page spread. The name above the title idea was his. And I once said to Paddy, why me, Lord? I was joking, though editors do like to be addressed that way. Paddy explained that he chose me primarily because we both believed that the arts should be central to political debate rather than relegated to the sidelines and that as such, popular music, as an outgrowth of popular culture, could and should be explored from a socio-political perspective. What does that mean in real terms? Okay, by way of a lead-in to the tape I want to play, let me give you one or three examples. One of my peers in the newspaper was a renowned rock critic. He loved in particular American, British and Irish guitar-based bands such as U2, who were usually comprised of four white guys. Cool, we all loved such bands at one stage. I certainly did. But increasingly, cultural analysts and not just feminists had come to call such bands proponents of cock rock, with all the political ramifications that implies. So I set out to broaden the net, as it were, to get a gender balance. And I set out to get a genre balance, to give as much space to, for example, Irish traditional acts such as the Chieftains. And even if all I got was a phone interview, something I usually rejected because it didn't lend itself to in-depth discussion, I was happy to say, you bet. What follows is one of my Irish Times interviews. Enjoy. OK, all right. Can we go back to your own role in those uh, specific recordings, some of them? A lot of the uh, serious analysis of rock culture can be traced back to William Mann's comment in the mid-60s. Yeah, about well, the, the pentatonic the cluster. The pentatonic yeah. di di yeah, yeah. diatribes. In this point. In <laughs> diatribes in this point. <laughs> I don't think that's what he Pendot said. Pentatonic clusters. Yes, in this boy and the uh, Aeolian cadences in right. not oh, the yes. second time. I remember the Aeolian cadences. But, well, obviously they did not come, that the concept of that did not come from John Lennon and Paul McCartney at the time. Well, I mean, or did it? I mean, is it, was it a natural way they composed or was this you? I mean, words don't alter the music, do they? I mean, you can call them Aeolian cadences or whatever, I think right. whatever you like. But the music is still the same. Right. And in fact, William Mann was quite correct because some of the... Some of the music, they were, they were clusters of, of um, different diatonic notes right. rather than chromatic ones. But it's just, high, it's just highfalutin talk. Right. Um, the music was superb. But it was also a turning point in the analysis of rock music. I mean, from that point on, rock music then, maybe Sgt. Pepper more so, solidified that rock music was uh, dissected, analysed as classical music had been, as uh, high arts had been before that. I mean, did you I think, think it warranted I th that? I, I think it does, because I think if you look back at all the music that was created from 1962 onwards until the Beatles stopped, um, it left us a great musical heritage, um, which is not just British, it's not just European, it's universal, it's world. You can go anywhere in this world and you will hear some of that music. And I can't think of anybody, any other writers who have right. quite such a universal appeal. And it is good music. It's good stuff. But did you always believe that? Or when you saw it being compared, I know you love Verdi, and that would be a strong basis, your love of classical music and your bass in classical music. Kessler, because... Sorry, yeah, I'm rushing because <laughs> we started late. You love classical music. You've written about Verdi. 
Was there ever a point, a part of you that said something like Love Me Do or the early stuff was very primitive and you couldn't respond I to it? I did say Love like Me Do it. And I still say Love Me Do is right. primitive. And I said to the boys, okay. and I was looking for a better song. During Love Me Do times, they showed me no instance they could be great songwriters. Right. P.S. I Love You and Love Me Do and One After 909 were the only kind of things they trotted along. Right. But right. they learned fast and they were able to, go, to start writing, first of all, uh, very catchy, very instant, likeable pop songs from... From Please Me onwards, Please Believe Me, From Me To You, She Loves You, I Want To Hold Your Hand. But then they started developing their sense of construction right. and melody and lyrics. And they came up with things which have stood enormous test of time. I mean, yesterday is now almost a cliche. Sure. But, but songs like Strawberry Fields Forever, songs like, like The Long and Winding Road and, and um, uh, Fool on the Hill and um, Michelle and so on, they're... they're, they're they're songs which are comparable with the best of Gershwin, the best of Porter, the best of, of um, Irving Berlin, and some people, like William Mann, say even the best Mahler, of Schumann. And Mahler's Songs of the Earth. Wasn't that the comparison? The well, indeed. Comparison? It's a, I think it's a fair comparison because right. classical music has not produced anything like that this century. Right. Okay, you corrected me earlier when I said about the uh, your, your contribution in terms of, I would see what you did with taking two parts of Strawberry Fields, even though they're a semitone apart in different tempo, and bringing them together. That's, oh, I think that's, that was brilliant. That's, well, no, but that's part composition. <laughs> that's part co-creation of, of a finished artistic product, surely. Yes, it's a bit like you, if you write a book and, um, and you've written and you're, 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 you've created something that you think is pretty good and it isn't really quite as presentable and as good as it should be, and then an editor comes along who is, in, who is himself a good writer and he locks it into shape and he puts it together and he presents it, and that editor is an unsung person, and the book comes out, and you're right. hailed, and you win right. a book of prize. Right. Right. And, the, and, and the, in the preface, if you're Salman Rushdie, you will say, I owe a great debt of gratitude to Robert Laurentis, my editor, for his help on the stroke. That, that's the kind of role I, a producer does, I think. In other words, I am a musician, I'm a writer, but I have actually helped to shape their work and put it and present it in the best way. So um, I wouldn't ca claim composition, Would you except in certain instances. I mean, the solo in, in my life is my composition. That kind the of solo. Thing. Yeah, you right. know the little harpsichord thing. Right. Well, I wrote right. that. Sure. Okay. Um, the the guitar and piano solo, Michelle, is mine. Right. Tom, right. right. I wrote that. Right. I mean, that's but that's not that's not fundamental. The songs are fundamental. Right, okay, but when it gets to some of the tracks on, uh, you know, the way you, the, the legendary story of you cutting up tapes and mixing sounds to capture John's uh, visual imagery, I mean, surely that's not too far from the kind of conceptual art that people like Yoko Ono were involved with. No, no. Creating I, music I'm that not way. I'm denying that. I think it's, right. it's part of the producer's function, though. And it's, but do you feel you get full credit creative, for that? It is creative, yes. Do you, get, do you feel you get, you've always gotten full credit for that? I think I've had a lot of credit. Yeah? I, I'd be yeah, very You don't happy. feel slighted. No, I, right. I, I, be, I feel that. Um, I feel that the world has treated me very well in that respect because I do get a lot of recognition on it. I'm not, right, right. you know, we've just come back from Sweden. Giles was playing guitar in the orchestra for me, and he also acts as my as my PR link, which is very okay. useful. But, I'm, but I'm, you know, I'm not. I'm here. Somebody with the phone. Call. Okay, no, no, it's all right. I'm sorry for that earlier. No, but okay. but um, we we were we were treated wonderfully. All right. Better. Okay. And uh, and you know, people sort of, I get a bit embarrassed sometimes that people. The praise. He said, he said to me at the clinic, you know, all these songs were said, I feel I'm taking credit for all these songs and not my songs. 
even though there is orchestration. Well, that's interesting. But you see, that's that's the point I remember. You see, I, I'm one of those people from the 60s who didn't like the Beatles, I have to admit that. I was listening to other kind of music. But my father, when he heard Eleanor Rigby, he was a big fan of Verdi and he would be a fan of Gordon Jenkins' orchestrations with uh, Sinatra. And he said Damn to me, okay, well, he said to me, and he would play me Riddle's orchestrations and make me listen to the way the singer's voice had been set in all these colours. And when he heard Eleanor Rigby, he said, the genius in that is George Martin. Now, that was his argument then, and uh, I, I, would, I see points of, uh, that's a, I think that's a very strong argument. And I think of producers who did Presley, like Sam Phillips, I mean, these people, Brian Eno with U2 at the moment. Mm. I mean, I do think that the input is by very much by rock critics, because they want to focus on the star, is minimised or played down, you mm. know? I, I think I've had more attention than, than most of those. Mo than most right, people. Right, I mean, right. for example, I think Nelson Riddle right. is a, was a great arranger for, for Sinatra. And he got quite a bit of attention from swings, songs of swinging lovers on. That's true. Right. Would they, would they have influenced you? Would that kind of stuff in it have influenced you, apart from songs for swinging sellers? Did you do that? Yeah, Nilsson Riddle certainly influenced no, me. Songs for swinging sellers, was that your Peter Sellers? Oh, yes. That's right. <laughs> well, indeed, songs for swinging sellers was built on there. <laughs> Yeah, so that was the kind of stuff you the, well the Beatles also gave you that did they give you your introduction to rock culture rhythm and blues based music they did you have to go out and listen to all that stuff they taught me a lot about rhythm stuff? and blues which I didn't know sure yeah. sure because sure. I was a bit square right so right. I am well you originally were just looking out for the Tommy Steele you'd let slip what, which, which clip was that? When you first signed them, when they came in, you were looking for Elvis or Cliff, the next Elvis or Cliff. Well, they said that Tommy slips, Tommy still, and you let slip. Uh, yeah, you were burned by that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't mention that, do we not? Uh, well, I do actually, but I mean, that's not nothing to be proud of. <laughs> well, if you'd signed it, it wouldn't be anything well, to I don't be proud know of that. either. Looking back on it, <laughs> he later got an award for it. For which? <laughs> for letting Tommy, Tommy still slip. <laughs> Okay, I'll back that one up. What we said, uh... Hi, Joe Jackson here again. And if you want to read the article that came out of that chat you just heard, check my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. Also, if you'd like to be notified of shows that focus on hundreds more interviews like the one you just heard, why not subscribe to the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast? Either way, thank you for listening.